the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. It's faith alone in Christ alone. When you add anything else to that, you have now made it a works-oriented approach to God. And so that's, that's why, you know, you might read this and go, what's, what's the big deal? The big deal is because once you start doing that, you've nullified the cross. And, and you can't take anything away from the simplicity of the message of this is God's grace. It's faith alone in Christ alone. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Titus. While it may seem as though the false teaching of salvation by works was exclusive to the early church, it still rears its ugly head from time to time. In some cases, we as believers could even fall into the trap of self-condemnation simply because of our own failures and shortcomings. However, as Pastor Gary will remind you in his message today, our salvation is by faith and faith alone. In his study, you'll learn that just as the Apostle Paul needed to remind believers centuries ago, we too can use the occasional reminder that God's gift of salvation is free. As the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Titus chapter 1 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, he would say, if we only have hope, For this life, we are to be pitied more than all men. You know, our hope is not in this life. Our hope is in in eternal life. Our hope is in the life to come. And just so that none of you might get lost in Christianese, when we talk about eternal life, if you're new to the faith or you're here kind of checking out Christianity, none of us, you know, is, is uh, you know, into an illusion that somehow we never die. Eternal life does not mean that we don't experience death. Eternal life means that there's more beyond death. That for the Christian who knows Jesus as Lord and Savior, death is simply a graduation from this life into eternal life. And that while our bodies will decompose and return to dust from which it was created... That for the Christian, upon death, your spirit separates from your body, and your spirit goes to heaven and goes to be with the Lord. 
Your body decomposes. Our body is made up of the same 17 chemical elements as dirt, mainly hydrogen, oxygen, and 15 other trace elements. So the Bible is true, and science confirms it, and we're just going to return to dirt. And you can either go naturally. Natural decomposition is about 30 years. Or you can be cremated. It's about 30 minutes. But you're going to return to dust either way. <laughs> and so it doesn't really matter. Some people get hung up on, on that. Should, is, is, uh, is cremation okay? It's fi- it just hastens the process, but it's okay. What about the glorified body? You'll get it. Like God's not going to be up in heaven like, oh, well, you cremated, so now I can't give you a glorified body. <laughs> like that's going to really be a... The, the one who threw the stars in outer space is going to be, you know, bound now because, you, oh, you cremated your body. It's going to return to dust either way. What about Uncle Charlie who was scattered at sea and then eaten the ashes by sharks? God can take care of Uncle Charlie. And God will pull together all the molecular elements of our ashes and scattered, you know, remains in order to give us glorified bodies. That, don't worry about that. The, the real thing to be concerned about is do you know whether or not you have eternal life? Is do you know that you know that Jesus loved you and died for you on a cross and gave his life for you and he took on our punishment that was intended for us so that by believing in his sacrifice for our sins, we might have the hope of eternal life. There are a lot of hopeless people in this world. A lot of people who are hopeless. It's no wonder, and there's nothing wrong for the right reasons with counseling and, and certain medications. But it's no wonder that there's an overabundance of prescription medications for people because they have no hope and they can't cope. And that's often because, not always, it's often because people don't know the, the source of hope, which is Jesus, the one who gives us hope in a hopeless world, and the one who helps us to recognize that this world and this lifetime will come to an end. And that's why it's important for us to know that we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And the hope of eternal life is not just for ourselves. It's also that hope we have in knowing that we'll be reunited with our loved ones who know Christ, who have gone before us. It's going to be a glorious reunion for your loved ones and friends who have already gone to be with the Lord and they've left this this world. But because they know Christ, and if you know Christ, you'll see them again. And you'll be reunited with them. So this is all that hope. This is, and this is his introduction. He's like, you know, this, this is why I'm doing all this. He's like, I, I'm a servant of Christ. I'm an apostle of Christ. I want to bring the truth that leads to godliness. I want us to have this faith and knowledge that rests on this eternal hope, which God, he adds there, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. So God doesn't lie. 1 Samuel 15, 29 says he He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind. So he's like, God has promised this. He's faithful. He doesn't lie. And he made this promise before the beginning of time. Peter would write in his epistle, 1 Peter 1.20, that Christ was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last days for your sake, for my sake. And so God's plan of redeeming humanity was put in motion even before the beginning of time as we understand it. And God is faithful to all his promises. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our Savior. He writes here in verse 4, now now we hear, who's the recipient? To Titus, my true son, 
in our common faith. Again, my spiritual son, in our common faith. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Some of your translations say grace, mercy, and peace, but um, not all of the original manuscripts had mercy, so I think NIV, I think ESV just has grace and peace. Some of your translations say grace, mercy, and peace. And he says in verse 5, the reason I left you, Titus, in Crete, was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished. Now, the word straighten out, again, New Testament written in Greek, uh, it is a Greek word, epidiortho, and we get two words from that epi meaning upon or over and orthos meaning to straighten. Uh, we get our English word orthopedic. An orthopedic doctor is one who straightens bones. And basically that's the directive here from Paul to Titus. You need to straighten it like a good orthopedic surgeon. You need to straighten out what's crooked, what's bent, what's messed up in the churches there in Crete. This is his directive to Titus. As I've left you in order that you might straighten out what was left unfinished. And he adds there in verse 5, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. He says, I gave you this instruction. I want you to follow through, and I want you to appoint. Now, King James uses the word ordain, uh, but, but, the, but the word appoint is a better translation. In fact, wherever King James uses the word ordained, it's only three times out of 23 other times that this word is translated appoint, appoint, appoint. Uh, it is katastemi in the Greek, uh, from two words kata and hestemi, and it means to stand up. And so what he's saying is you need to appoint, you need to stand up, you need to align, you need to uh, designate elders in every town. Now that doesn't mean every, every town, like every town in Crete needs an elder. It means every town, the implication is every town where there's a church it needs to have leadership. And so, Titus, you need to appoint. Now, that's a key word in the Scriptures because it is contrary to our common Western way of dealing with things. We, we typically, in our Western mindset, we vote on leaders. But not in the Bible. You never see elders voted on. Elders are never selected out of popularity. They are never self-appointed. They are always appointed by someone else with authority, in this case, Titus, and it's an important distinctive. I know some of you may have come out of churches. I came out of churches where elders were voted on by the congregation. That just simply is not being consistent with the way we see it in Scripture. Because what often happens is when, when we vote for people, it becomes much more of a popularity contest. I can tell you, you know, when I was younger and old enough to be a part of a membership of a church and then could vote. I voted for elders who were presented. I had no clue what their life was like. I had no way of knowing whether they were qualified out of 1 Timothy chapter 3 or Titus chapter 1. And nevertheless, it became kind of a popularity thing because it appeals to our Western mindset of voting for people. But that's not the way it is to be done in the church. It's not how we do it here. And, and the directive is appoint Appoint. And the reason why they were to be appointed is because there's a strict list of qualifications. In fact, when you look at the qualifications listed in 1 Timothy chapter 3, which we've already gone over a few months ago when we were in 1 Timothy 3, there are 15 qualifications in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. There are another 12 qualifications here in, in chapter 1 of Titus that are not repeated in 1 Timothy chapter 3. All told, 27 qualifications. So this is not 
This is, this is not like, who, who can we find to collect change at a toll booth? All right, no disrespect to people who collect change at a toll booth, but the qualifications aren't 27. This is, and, and the reason why you don't vote for these elders is because th- this is a tall order. This is hard. This is a list. Now, it's not, it's not to suggest that you need perfect people. There are no perfect people. But it is to say that the responsibility is going to be high, so the qualifications have to be high, which is why James 3.1 says, not many of you should, should be teachers, my brothers, because those of you who teach will be judged more strictly. So there's a, there's a higher responsibility, therefore there's a higher accountability, therefore there's a higher qualification. And so the verses that are to follow are what Paul says are to be specifically the qualifications for these elders that you are to appoint. Look at verse 6. An elder must be blameless, and I'm only going to highlight the words that are not repeated uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 for the sake of redundancy, but I'll point out. So blameless is one that is unique to Titus chapter 1. Again, it doesn't mean perfect, but it means living a life with a good reputation. The husband of but one wife, we talked about that in 1 Timothy 3, means a a one-woman man, a man whose children believe. Now, this is different. In 1 Timothy, he said, an elder has to be one who can manage his own family well. But here, Paul says to Titus, he ratchets it, it up a notch, and he says, and your kids have to be believers. If you're, if you're going to be an elder, a pastor, a leader in a church, your kids should show the fruit of your ministry as legitimate and credible, that they should come to faith too, and they should be living a faith uh, that loves Jesus as well. See that your children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. That can be a potential disqualification. Now, it isn't to say that, you know, sometimes kids go off the rails for short little seasons, and it isn't to say the moment some kid is rebellious that some pastor elder is disqualified. But, but a long period of time could be a reason for disqualification because, you see, it's a statement. It's the, it's the idea that if, if a pastor can't manage his own family well, then, then how, how can he manage God's family well? And so there's a, there's a correlation there. And he adds in verse 7, since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing. So that's another qualification that Titus mentions, which uh, ESV says not arrogant. Uh, basically, uh, that's self-explanatory, right? Not quick-tempered. That's, a, that's another new one here that Titus uh, that Paul mentions to Titus, not quick-tempered, not, not a hothead. You know, a, a pastor can't be a hothead, has to be slow to become angry. Not given to drunkenness, Timothy mentioned that. We'll not go over that again. Not violent, Timothy mentioned that one. Uh, not, uh, sorry, Paul mentioned it in Timothy's letter. Uh, not pursuing dishonest gain, that's a new one here. Uh, not guilty, basically, of the inappropriate use of money. King James says, filthy lucre. Uh, but it's the idea of, you know, don't become corrupt uh, by money. Uh, rather, he must be hospitable. That's in Timothy. One who loves what is good. That's a new one here. That's self-explanatory. Who is self-controlled. That's important. That's in Timothy also. Upright, holy, and disciplined. Those three are new to this letter. Upright, holy, and disciplined. In verse 9, he must hold firmly the trustworthy message. That's new, meaning he needs to believe and live the Bible as God's inspired word, as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So those are two more. So it's like you got to live by the Bible, you got to believe the Bible, live the Bible, and 
Because if, if you don't, what business do you have uh, encouraging others by sound doctrine if you don't know it and live it yourself? And how in the world can you refute those who oppose sound doctrine if you don't know it and live it yourself? So in, in there, I know we went through that list pretty quickly, but there's 12 in addition to the 15 of 1 Timothy for a total of 27. So again, it's, it's intended to be, this is a, this is a tall order um, because there's responsibility and accountability that goes with this. Well, verse 10 says, For there are many rebellious people, uh, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. Okay, now, so, so here's where Paul is going to address the problem of uh, what uh, the New Testament commonly refers to as the Judaizers. These are, these are Jews who believe in Jesus, but they also believe that all the Jewish rituals and feasts have to be celebrated too for you to be a legitimate Christian. And so Paul's going to come along, he's going to dismantle their argument here. He says, listen, these are talkers and deceivers. These people who, who, who put the burden of all the, the rituals on top of believing in Jesus, you know, whenever you add anything to the simple message of it's God's grace, the exercise of our faith, in response to what Jesus did on a cross. That, that's it. I mean, any, it's faith alone in Christ alone. When you add anything else to that, you have now made it a works-oriented approach to God. And so that's, that's why, you know, you might read this and go, what's, what's the big deal? The big deal is because once you start doing that, you've nullified the cross, and, and you can't take anything away from the simplicity of the message of this is God's grace, it's faith alone in Christ alone. And so he, he's challenging them and rebuking them. Verse 11, they must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Now, again, is that a reference to the dishonest gain earlier that elders there in verse, uh, what is it, verse 8, were told not to be people pursuing dishonest gain. Uh, it, it could either be that they're doing something here, and in the process they're trying to make financial reward, or it could simply be the dishonest gain that some in ministry want for the sake of their personal pride. You know, there, there are people in ministry who love being in ministry just because they, they love the attention and they want, they want the accolades and they want people to honor them and, and all of that. And, and so it, it could be that's the, dishon- the, the dishonest gain. It could be for personal reasons or it could be financial reasons, but there's some kind of false motive going on here. And he says in verse 12, even one of their own prophets, now this is not a legitimate prophet, but it's among those who are the Judaizers. He goes, even even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. And then Paul adds in verse 13, this testimony is true. Now, it would be uncharacteristic of Paul to just malign a whole group of people by saying, you know what? Cretans have this reputation of being liars, evil brutes, and glazy lattens. And you know, uh, glazy lattens, glazy, glazy lattens, <laughs> lazy gluttons. And then for him to say, and you know what? And all that's true. 
Oh, that's true. My, my encounter with all these Cretans, that's what I find them to be too. That's not, that's not what he's saying. I read one commentary in studying for this that said, Paul's not usually a bigot like he is here. I'm like, seriously? Seriously, he's not being a bigot here. What he's saying is that if these false teachers are, are propagating these, these false teachings then they are simply fulfilling the reputation that Cretans have. That they themselves are just, they're lying. They're not saying the truth. They're not speaking the truth. Now, now uh, maybe they don't intentionally know that they're lying, but they're so deceived as to what the truth is that they're misrepresenting the truth. And so all he's saying is, he goes, you know what? They're living up to the reputation of the Cretan people. There's this reputation. In fact, the Greeks actually coined a Greek word called uh, Cretazine. It's a word that means a liar and a cheat, and it's taken from the word Crete. So the Greeks, actually, it was a worldwide known reputation, and and they even coined a word for it. So Paul's basically saying, for these false teachers who are spreading false doctrines, they're just living up to the reputation that is known around the known world, that Cretans are called liars and evil brutes and lazy gluttons. He goes, that's why he says this testimony is true. He's, he's, that's not disparaging all the people of Crete. He's just saying these particular people he's rebuking. They're living up to this wrong reputation. Therefore, he says in the rest of verse 13, he says to Titus, therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. Notice He's just always about truth here, truth, truth. And he adds, he says, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. He says, in fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. So he's addressing their character here. That's what he means. You know, to to the pure, all things are pure, but not to these guys, To, to those who are corrupt and they don't believe, you know, nothing's pure to them. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. And and you want to finish that first chapter and say to yourself, what do you really think, Paul? (laughs) I mean, he's... Paul... Paul didn't pull any punches. I mean, every once in a while, when it's necessary, he rises up. And he says, you need, to, you need to rebuke these people. And, and he says, they claim to know God. By their actions, they deny him. And he goes, let me just use a few words to describe them. Detestable, disobedient, unfit for doing anything good. Let's move on to chapter 2. You know, that's just the way he is here. And um, the way chapter 1 ends is a reminder to us, to paraphrase, they talked Christian, but they didn't walk Christian. And... This is where you read a verse like this and you pull it from the first century to the 21st century and you realize that the the stuff that Paul's saying here is not antiquated stuff. This is a good reminder to any of us that our walk better match our talk. That if we say we're a Christian and we're wearing the jersey, we had better live a life in such a way that there's no hypocrisy and that people can look on our lives and get a glimpse of Jesus. That's, that's how we should be living our lives. There will be times that we will fail and there will be times we will not be good examples. And when that happens, we need to ask the Lord for forgiveness and perhaps we need to ask other people for forgiveness. Hey, I wasn't being a very good example. 
And I just you know, want to tell you I'm sorry because the call for a Christian life is to live our lives in such a way that is consistent with what we believe. You've been listening to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. We're so glad you joined us to dig into this book of Titus, a letter from the Apostle Paul to his brother in Christ and fellow missionary for the gospel. Paul's message to Titus is one of encouragement and is meant for you too. Your faith changes how you interact with others and how you live your day-to-day life. Are you letting what you believe influence others and shape your conversations? It's not always easy. Sometimes hiding your faith seems to make more sense in the moment. In the long run, though, you'll be glad you stood up for Christ and promoted the message of hope that everyone desperately needs. There's more to discover in this study of Titus, so we hope you'll tune in again next time. Right now, you can explore more of Pastor Gary's teachings by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, or download our mobile app to listen on the go. If you're in the Leesburg area, we'd love to meet you. Come join us this Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m. at Cornerstone Chapel. We'll have worship and Bible study, and you'll meet some friendly and welcoming faces. You'll find all the information you need at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for tuning in today. We look forward to spending time with you again right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul got no place to go, but still you know, you're not alone, real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes, mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise, hope is an open ocean, jump in and you'll find the call.